broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Hi there, it's Dave Kirby with Chattanooga Business Radio X, and I'm very happy to have uh, Phil Schmerling in the studio with me today. He is CEO at InCrowd Capital, and we're going to let him talk about uh, exactly what they do. But basically, it's a, uh, a platform to help uh, everybody feel comfortable in investing. Uh, you have the opportunity to become an angel investor uh, where maybe you felt like you didn't have enough capital in the in the past or you felt like, oh, that's just for the rich people or whatever. Uh, InCrowd really gives you the opportunity to join a co-investment tools uh, pool. So, Phil, welcome to the studio. And I just want to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about InCrowd Capital. Yeah, thanks for having me this morning. Happy to be here. Uh, so InCrowd, we founded several years ago with the goal of increasing access to capital. A lot of these resources were coming online, uh, accelerator programs, especially across the Southeast. And the, the major missing piece was capital. So to increase access to capital, there were angel groups, they existed, but they were kind of these good old boy networks. And for people who were maybe successful business, business people, wanted to get involved in investing in startups, but they might've been intimidated by that. Uh, those people in these uh, older angel groups are uh, very wealthy people. They can write really big checks, hundred thousands of dollars without even flinching. They had their own accountants, lawyers, and a team of resources to help them screen deals and find the best companies. So when we went around and we were asking people, well, what, what's missing here? Why, what can we do to get more people off the sidelines investing in startups? We found that there were a lot of people who wanted to invest in startups, had the money to do it, but just were intimidated by that process. So we started in crowd to take a lot of that intimidation away. We help screen deals, uh, negotiate deal terms. We deal with legal tax, all the things that intimidate people we take away. And as you mentioned, one of the most important things is that we have very low minimum investments. So we allow people to invest much uh, smaller dollar amounts so they don't feel like they have to write a $100,000 check to be investing in a startup. They can write uh, $25,000 checks and they're, they're still putting 100,000 to work, but they have a diverse portfolio, which is one of the important things, no matter what you're investing in is being diverse. So that's the, uh, the beginning, the genesis of InCrowd. Uh, we launched it, uh, the angel group about two and a half years ago. We've grown to about 43 members now, uh, and we've invested in seven companies across Tennessee. So when I invest in InCrowd, that I'm I'm actually not investing in a specific company, uh, but it, it really, like you said, it diversifies my portfolio. So I actually have a, a little stake in several companies at a time. Is that right? Well, you get to choose which companies. As being part of an angel group, you get to select, yes, I do like this company. No, I don't like these. And you can pick the ones that you want to invest in. And the good thing about that is if you have experience, let's say, uh, marketing operations or a specific industry, for example, healthcare, uh, logistics, whatever the case may be, you may say, well, if I invest in this company, I know I can help them and get involved with the company. And being part of an angel group, you can, you can take advantage of that. Because if you're with, uh, let's say, 30 or 40 other people who have their own areas of expertise, you could say, well, that person's really experienced in that industry. They're investing in that company. So I think I'm going to do it too. Mm -hmm. And you may not get involved in that company, but you're able to more easily build a portfolio. Otherwise, it's really difficult to find companies that are very specific to you. And maybe you only get five or six investments over two to three years versus uh, if you're part of an angel group, for example, then maybe you can 
you can broaden your investment portfolio by piggybacking off of some of the experiences of the other members. So the, the low uh, minimum investment is, uh, is one of the distinctives of in-crowd. Also, we've talked about uh, the fact that you guys kind of do all the, the legwork in advance to vet the companies and, uh, and work out the investment deals, et cetera. Let's talk about a couple of other distinctives that I thought were pretty interesting about in-crowd. One is the, the networking and live events that you uh, host. Yeah, so in talking to these people, like what do you want to see in an angel, in an angel group? A few things rose to the surface. One, um, it was this live event thing. They wanted consistency. They wanted to be able to see a lot of pitches, a lot of deals. And what they were, what was happening with these other angel groups is that they were acting more like VCs. They would take their time looking at deals. They'd go through an extensive diligence process with the, with the entrepreneurs, which by the way, the entrepreneurs don't want to go through 20 to 40 hours of diligence only to be told they cannot pitch to an angel group. So they go through this diligence process and then they tell the companies no. And then some companies get a yes. So if they look at 100 deals and maybe five get through that funnel each year, then these members are maybe seeing uh, two to three deals a year that are actually approved, quote unquote. I'm doing air quotes on the radio. That's not a smart <laughs> thing to do. Getting approved by, this, uh, by the heads of the angel group. So what they're saying is, look, show us your discard pile. There may be something in there that we that we we really like that we feel like we can help that entrepreneur. You may not know that about us, so they wanted to see deal flow. So we do a lot of, as you said, we do a lot of the heavy lifting up front. We do spend a lot of time with the entrepreneurs. Uh, we don't let, for example, just any entrepreneur with an idea come and present. But we don't have them go through a formal diligence process unless there's interest from our members. So every month we have one or two companies pitch. So we see 12 to 20 deals a year uh, that our members get to see 12 to 20 deals a year. And we invest in, in four to six. So not every deal gets funded, but our members get access to a lot of deal flow. Uh, and, they, and they love that about our, our group. And then, of course, um, one of the big factors in terms of pricing is we don't charge a carried interest or a percentage of the profit on our members' personal investments. So if they say, I like this company, I want to put in 10,000, 5,000, 50,000, whatever it may be, and that turns into a large profit, they keep every dollar of that profit. We don't charge uh, that carried interest piece. So if you're a new angel, an existing angel, an experienced angel, it doesn't really matter. You can, that's still, that model still appeals to all of them. One, because of the pricing, but two, because they want to see the deal. Is InCrowd uh, specifically designed for beginning angels or... Is there a lot that the seasoned investor could also uh, gain from working with you guys? It is primarily designed for these newer angel investors who want to kind of dip their toe in the water first. It's very low pressure. There are no uh, minimum. They don't have to invest in anything. They could be a member and never write a check. Now, they're going to pay a membership fee, so they might as well be. But as I mentioned, um, experienced angels love this too because what they were missing from the other angel groups was access to deal flow. They weren't seeing enough deal flow. They also like that we don't charge the carry. And if they do have that team of resources, they have the accountants, the lawyers, and all that stuff, then they don't have to go through InCrowd's platform uh, because, again, we don't charge a carry. So I don't care if they invest through InCrowd and through our ecosystem or our, our infrastructure or if they invest on their own. So we have, uh, we have a really good mixture. I'd say uh, maybe... 30 or 40% of our members are actually experienced angels. And the rest, uh, this is probably the first time they've ever invested in startups before. So uh, let me just uh, get clear here on how angel groups work and, and excuse my ignorance, but uh, 
So do I have an opportunity to be a part or speak into the businesses I invest in? Do I have an opportunity to mentor them and work with them hands-on? Yeah, it's, it's obviously up to you and it's up to the entrepreneur. There has to be a match. If the entrepreneur doesn't want it, and those entrepreneurs are probably not the ones that we want to probably be backing. We, we like entrepreneurs who are open to getting assistance, especially if it can be helpful. Uh, but yes, uh, it has to be mutual. We don't want to force it on any of the entrepreneurs and we don't want to force it on our members. So uh, we have one example. We have one company. The entrepreneur said, hey, I'm, I'm a product guy and a sales guy. That's what I love to do. One of our investor or one of our investors, our members, invested in his company and had a lot of experience in that industry and with his business model. And the entrepreneur asked him to be the CEO of the company. So one of our members, that's about as involved as yeah. you can get. <laughs> yeah, one of our members is actually the CEO of one of uh, our investment companies. It just seems like uh, having as an entrepreneur, uh, having that ability to tap into such a broad array of experience and expertise just seems like a, a, a perfect win-win both for the entrepreneur and also for the investor. Yeah, I mean, entrepreneurs in the early stages of their business, when they're raising money, they're looking for smart capital. When they're, when they're uh, maybe growing or expanding, uh, it might, they might just take money in that they need to help them get to that point, but they'd much rather take money from people who can, can help them. And it doesn't necessarily need to be industry connections, although that's probably the most valuable, I'd say. Uh, but it could be a marketing or operations, a finance. A lot of these entrepreneurs aren't seasoned sales executives. Um, there are some cases where we've told entrepreneurs, like, we love what you're doing, but you need to get somebody who knows how to sell into, for example, healthcare, which is extremely difficult to build relationships to be able to sell into healthcare. We do actually even promote to the entrepreneurs that they have people on their team or they go to members of ours, of our, our group that have experience in that area. And many times I'll have an entrepreneur before they come pitch to our group, I'll introduce them to one of our members who has experience in their industry. And that's how I get feedback too. So the member says, you know what, this is a great concept. We think it can work in this industry. Uh, we should have the company pitch. So we're going to talk about this later in the interview, but since we're talking about the entrepreneur, so what do you guys look for uh, in an entrepreneur uh, as you're looking for pitches, you know, uh, uh, businesses are pitching you kind of what's the criteria there? Well, you hear this question get asked a lot of VCs and they always say the same thing. They want to see a man, an experienced management team passionate about a problem. And so we could talk about a few things because it's, it's easy to say we focus on the jockey, not the horse, but no entrepreneur really knows what that means and no VC really can define it. So here's how we define it. We've on average known our entrepreneurs that we've ended up backing for over two years. So what we do is we get involved. I like to meet these companies really early when they're ideas. So when they're an idea, I can watch how they progress over time before they're at a point when they're ready to raise money from an angel group like ours. The things that are important, the passion, the experience, the energy, the hustle, um, the execution, their ability to execute, I can see that over a long period. I can't see that in 90 days. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking, one day I want to raise money from an angel group or a venture capital firm, it's never too early to go have the conversation. Just say, hey, here's what I'm working on. I know that you like investments in this space. I, I know that this might be something interesting to you down the road. We just want to let you know, be on your radar, let you know what we're up to. And when we hit these milestones, we'd like to come talk to you about getting funding. 
And that way they can watch the story and they're not, it's not, hey, here's our pitch. We're closing our investment by, you know, in 90 days. You have 90 days to decide whether or not you like me as a person. Yeah. You know, when's the last time you, you uh, had a, that accurate of a judgment about a person in 90 days? So, um, so for us, we like to get involved really early. We like to see those qualities. We like to see the passion. We like to see the stick, the stick-to-itiveness. Is that a word? I'm going to use it anyway. Um, the hustle and the, and the execution. And the only way I think to really do that well is by watching the companies over a longer period of time. Yeah, it's, uh, I always like to uh, equate business relationships to almost like a dating relationship, right? You don't meet somebody and within 90 days you're asking them to get married, exactly right? right? Not typically. I guess there are a few of those. Uh, but, uh, but typically it takes a, a period of getting to know each other, right? And, and to become familiar with each other and to, to know that it's a good fit. So are there any red flags you look at uh, that you see in entrepreneurs that make you say, hmm, I'm not sure these are people we want to get involved with? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think there are, there are a few things. I think if, the, if it seems like the entrepreneur is chasing the money, um, there are a few ways to notice that. Um, outrageous projections. If an entrepreneur comes to us and says, we're going to have $100 million in revenue in five years, the problem there is that if they are chasing the money, or if we feel they are, every entrepreneur on the planet hits a roadblock. I don't care how good your idea is, how great your concept is, it's hard to sell. And, it, and you've seen in history, plenty of examples of the best product still not winning in the marketplace. So it, it's, you hit these roadblocks, it's really difficult to win. So if we see an entrepreneur who, said, who thinks they're, I guess, going after a big market, chasing the money, when they realize that maybe that's not as easy as they thought it was going to be, or the numbers aren't as big as they thought they were going to be, they're going to go chase the next big idea. And that's the biggest source of failure. It's not sticking to it, giving up too early. And if you're not really passionate about solving the problem that you're solving, then uh, it's easy to give up. So let's shift gears a little bit. Just talk about uh, startups in general, especially in Tennessee. Where do you uh, see the the state of uh, startups uh, in Tennessee? Yeah, so... Over the past five years, four or five years, we've seen tremendous resources opening up for entrepreneurs in Tennessee. Tennessee, I think, is one of the best states uh, in terms of access to resources uh, in the country. What I felt was missing was the access to capital, which is why we started InCrowd, especially for non-healthcare and tech-related companies that didn't have a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. So we have institutions like Launch Tennessee, which... Uh, has a network of accelerator programs. I think there are maybe nine accelerators in Tennessee. Uh, and InCrowd works very closely with those accelerators. Uh, two in Memphis, obviously here in Chattanooga. Uh, uh, there are several accelerator programs out in Nashville um, and Knoxville as well. Uh, so Tennessee, Tennessee has done really well to provide those, done really well in providing those resources. And the, the thing that we saw missing really was the capital side, which is where we feel we come in, especially for some of those companies that graduate for those accelerator programs that maybe don't have as much traction that a typical VC would want to see in terms of, of revenue and product development, that sort of thing. I know we've talked about it a little bit, but what, uh, what are the challenges you see for a startup? What are the, what are the things, the roadblocks that they run into uh, pretty quickly in the process? I think the challenges are their assumptions on how they're going to raise money. 
uh, a lot of entrepreneur. What? Let's just say this: every entrepreneur thinks their idea is the greatest idea in the world, right? Of course. If you don't, you probably shouldn't be starting your company. <laughs> right. If you don't think it's a good idea, you probably shouldn't be starting. So every entrepreneur thinks they have a great idea, and it could be. It could be a good idea. It probably is. Uh, but they go to these VCs and think, well, the VC is going to think my idea is great too. So why why wouldn't they want to give me money? Get in early. Better valuation. I'm about to use my air quotes again, better valuation. So get in early. And what they don't realize is that these VCs are seeing hundreds and hundreds of companies a year, and they're going to invest in the ones that present the lowest amount of risk, which really usually means they're the furthest along and what I would say proving that they can execute. That's what I define traction as, proof that you can execute. doesn't have to be revenue. Uh, in, in most cases, it, it can be just a strong team that has great relationships that have uh, letters of intent, but maybe no revenue yet. So they think that they're going to walk in with this idea and they're just people are just going to throw money at them. And the reality is, is that, like we said before, you've got to build those relationships over the long term. And it's not, hey, VC, here's my idea. It's great. Uh, you have 90 days to decide whether or not you want to invest. It's saying, hey, VC, here's my idea. Here's what I'm planning on doing over the next 9 to 18 months. Love to revisit raising money from you in the future. So entrepreneurs think, well, the roadblock for me is access to capital. When in reality, uh, they just have to consider how competitive it is to get that money. Less than 1% of entrepreneurs get money from VCs and less than 2% get from angel groups. So 97% of companies have to figure out how to get to revenue or get money before to, to succeed with their companies. So I think that the, they, they see access to capital as a hurdle when reality they should probably be focusing on maybe bootstrapping and getting to sales rather than trying to get their idea stage company to get funded by a VC or an angel group for that matter. Is there an advantage? So say a company comes to you and they say, here's our idea. We'd like to get in early with you guys and kind of let you be part of the process or whatever. Do you guys provide uh, help in putting together their plan and that kind of thing? Or is that really the job of the accelerator or the incubator that they become a part of? That's why we like working with the accelerator and incubators because they've, the pitches are practiced, they're polished. Uh, the, again, the entrepreneurs, I'm going to get involved with the accelerator programs pretty early in their process, which is what I, what I do, so I can watch them as they go through the accelerator programs. I'd say 99 out of 100 companies that graduate from an accelerator locally in the Southeast, let's say, um, aren't ready to raise money when they graduate. So they, while I'm kind of keeping an eye on them, it may be another year after they graduate before we decide to get them in front of our members. So we do rely mostly on the accelerators and other mentors and people to help with that. And saying that, I'm always happy to give feedback and say, the important thing to say is like, again, 3% of companies are going to raise money from what I call organized capital, angel groups and VCs. The, the feedback I'm going to give you is are things that you can do to increase your chances to get funded. So say I come to you with a business plan and you're going you're gonna to show me where you feel like the gaps in that plan are, the holes that need to be filled, that kind of thing? Well, I have to put it into context. So I have to say, these are the things, if you want to raise money from our group or venture capital, here are the things that you should be thinking about. I never tell an entrepreneur what they need to do because they're going to know what's best for their company. But 
I also say if your goal is to grow a successful business, that may not be the right strategy. Mm-hmm. Bringing on a bad, a big customer that maybe is going to be a bad customer customer for you down the road may not be a good strategy for long term in your business, but may be a good strategy to help you get funding in the door. So I have to put into context where my comments come from because. Again, most of these companies aren't going to raise money from VCs, so my comments aren't going to be relevant to them. So as long as I put it into context, I, you know, I'll tell them what I think they can do to increase their chances of succeeding in raising money. But it may, but I say it may not be what's right for your company. So, what advice would you give to uh, future angel investors, people that have uh, thought about uh, becoming uh, an investor? What, where, where do they start? I think the best place to start is getting involved as a mentor at the, one of these accelerator programs. Uh, get practice first. There are so many ways to do that now. Uh, being a mentor at, um, you know, you could contact Launch Tennessee and see what their accelerators are across the state. Um, every state has accelerators. There are easy ways to get involved with these uh, incubators and all these programs. Get involved as a mentor first. And when you start investing, invest with other people. Uh, so starting off, let other let other people maybe bring you deals, people who you trust who have had success, and learn from them. A great way to do that, I mean, it's a little biased, but a great way to do that's an angel group. Uh, you can join an angel group. There's no pressure to invest usually, and you can kind of you can just learn from the questions that other people ask. You can learn, you can you know grab coffee with them, network with them, and and learn a little bit. There are great podcasts on angel investing. There are a lot of resources out there now to help you educate yourself on angel investing. And, uh, you know, InCrowd teaches a class uh, on angel investing. It's a four-hour seminar. We talk about a lot of the strategy pieces. Uh, so there, there are other people teaching classes, I'm sure, out there somewhere. So there are a lot of resources right now for people who are saying, you know what, I want to get involved as an angel. Uh, how, how can I get started? Um, th- those are the, the places I'd direct them for now. Well, let's, uh, let's just talk about... Uh... Uh, the basics of uh, in crowd. You have a low minimum investment. What is it? Did I see it was five thousand dollars is the minimum investment? Five thousand for personal investments, and we have a fund, a VC fund, a kind of sidecar fund that's twenty five thousand minimum investment, and that gets spread across ten to twelve companies. So for somebody who doesn't want to put a lot of money to work but wants to build a big diverse portfolio, they could start by doing the fund, and uh, you know they still have access to invest in the companies, but. You know, if they're on average getting twenty five hundred in per company, that's a great way to build a portfolio with not a lot of capital at risk. But for people who just want to invest on their own, decide which companies they want to invest in on their own, the minimum investment for those personal investments is five thousand dollars. I didn't uh, talk to you about this before we started the interview, but uh, do you have any idea of what kind of the average return is for somebody that gets involved in investing through you guys, or is that hard to hard to? pin down. Well, for us right now, we're, we're only two and a half years in. Our first investment was made a little over two years ago. So we still have a little ways to go. Uh, some of our companies are doing well and they've raised additional money. We could maybe show paper gains, but I, I don't think that's a good thing to do, especially in a hot market mm-hmm. uh, for like where valuations are inflated. Um, but it's hard to say an average for angel investing because there's you either do... I feel like you either do really well, like you hit a home run, or you lose everything, mm-hmm. right? So it's there's you could say the average is twenty percent IRR, let's say, but in reality there are, there could be somebody in that bucket that made six thousand percent and and a thousand people who made zero percent. 
which is the advantage of uh, taking part in a pool like this, a co-investment pool, so that you, you're spreading your risk over multiple companies. Yeah, and the idea, I think, for most angels is, look, I'm going to put some capital to, at work, and for, for companies that I think I can help, and I'm going to do my best to, to help myself succeed with those companies. And if you invest in 30 companies, and one of them ends up being a home run, and uh, you know, the, I'd say 24 of those are probably going to fail, you need the other six to return the rest of your capital. So uh, it's very risky. It takes a lot of patience because the failures, those 24 failures are going to happen before the six winners, right? The failures happen a lot faster than the winners. It takes a long time to build a company that has a 10x exit even. You know, that's at least six years probably, if not longer. So you have to be patient. Uh, again, groups like InCrowd are a way to put less capital at risk. So you can kind of test the waters first. You can learn a little bit. You don't have to, you definitely don't want to be investing money that you can't afford to lose. Uh, it's uh, or that you need in the in the short term. Mm -hmm. So if I have questions, um, are you guys open to just sit down and let's talk about this? Yeah, of course. So uh, always, always happy to talk with both entrepreneurs and investors who are interested in learning more. Uh, I'm pretty easy to to get a hold of. Um, our, you know, I think our you've mentioned our website in crowdcapital.com. You can email me at phil at incrowdcapital. Uh, those those email addresses have gotten so easy to guess by now. You might as well just give them out. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out to me if you have questions on on either side, the entrepreneur side or the investor side, and I'm always happy to chat. Well, we have this information on the website too, so you can uh, you can go to businessradiox.com, correct? Uh, but again, it's incrowdcapital.com. That's right. And your email address is phil at incrowdcapital.com. That's it. Phil, thank you. This has been fascinating, interesting, and I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you guys for Best having me. Best of luck to you guys. Yeah, appreciate it.